the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 190. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to the show. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. Good morning. How is it over there in Austin? Ah, it's looking to be a lovely day. Sun's out. It's cool. Yes. Pretty, pretty day. Yeah. I took my canoe out, Sandra, last weekend. Oh, fun. On the Estero. And it was, it had rained really hard the day before. And then the next day was just glorious. Mm. No wind, sunshine. And it was so, I was, I've been needing, I've been feeling the call to water and it just completely like checked all the boxes for me. And I just mm-hmm. felt so good after I got out of that canoe or even while I was on it, it felt fantastic. So that was really fun. Mm, that sounds lovely. My husband is a kayaker. He loves to kayak and he, uh, we rented some the last time we went to the beach and, um, yeah, anyway, it's funny. Like I have experiences for me have expiration dates, which was something that I, it's like a concept that I never grasped when I was drinking, Mm -hmm. but, um, but now, (laughs) now it's something that, you know, like something is fun and it, but it doesn't have to be like five hours of fun. It can just be like two. Um, right. And so, but I never, never understood that concept because I would just, you know, drink to tolerate whatever I was doing long after it was probably, you know, long after I would probably have determined it to be unfun. (laughs) So yeah, that's what kayaking is for me. So husband stay out for eight hours, Sandra, mm, two hours. I'm good. Then I'm ready to go back, do something else. (laughs) It was the same thing when we, when we head out, I went out with my new friend and he wanted to go out for like four hours. He was like, so we'll be back by dark. And I was like, in my head, I was thinking, by dark, like it's like 
12 o'clock right now, (laughs) but I didn't know I'm trying to say yes to more fun. I think my word for the year next year might be play. So I was like, okay, I'm going to say, yes, we're just, I want to be on the water. I've been wanting this. Um, and what ended up happening is a little bit of wind did kick up and we weren't fully clothed appropriately for it to get really cold, which I don't know what we were thinking, but we weren't. And so what we ended up doing was just floating and letting it, the canoe just go wherever it went. I mean, we went mm-hmm. a good distance. And then after a while, yeah. we just, we just laid back and talked, we brought snacks and got comfy in the canoe and leaned up against, you know, each end of it and just talked for hours. Oh, and nice. Got back in our seats and paddled back to the car. And it was like, that was exactly, that's exactly what I wanted to do. You know, for a couple of hours, that was it. So it felt great. It felt great. Um, there's so much to cover. We have a really fun episode. Coming we up. do. I wanted to just quickly, I've been yeah, go ahead. my butt off on making this course. And Sandra, it's been so fun. I've, I'm taking your course Rich, right, right now, which I love um, the last 30 days. And I really like I'm, what I'm trying to, what I've been trying to do this last part of the year is to really learn from other people and how they do things, how they're doing their courses, um, the cadence, you know, just kind of paying attention. And what I realized is I wanted to create a course of the type of course I want to take, which means simple. Mm-hmm. I, this is going to launch on December 28th and it's going to be super simple. It's going to be six weeks. And that sounds like a long time, but I promise you, it's going to be just so easy wins for you to take this course. It's going to be called the invitation. And what the invitation is going to be, it's an invitation to kind of mother yourself a little bit. Um, an invitation to follow your curiosity, an invitation to release perfection, an invitation to be a living ceremony, and an invitation to kind of show up for yourself every single day in easy, easy ways. Mm. So it's going to be 99 bucks. It's not, it's not a, a huge amount of money. I know it is, I know it is a hundred bucks. But I'm going to keep it so simple that you're going to totally win and be able to do all of the things, the little prompts um, in a way that feels like not homework. I didn't, I do love homework, as you know, Sandra, but I don't, I did not want that for the beginning of the year for the course. And just really quickly, the bullet points are the first week we're going to do like word of the year. So that's December 28th. We're going to pick a word of the year and show how I do that practice and the year ahead spread with the tarot. If people want to do that, that's kind of, they can do it if they want to, um, the second week is going to be teaching about my logbook practice and just getting people to just document their life a little bit in the way that they feel right about doing that. Um, the third week is going to be about a morning, a short morning routine. Fourth week is about a short evening routine. And the fifth week is going to be about gratitude, having a, a, a gratitude practice. And the sixth week is about sacred adornment and kind of adorning and your yourself and also your home in little ways and little altars. So I'm very excited about it. And um, the woman who is helping me put all of this together um, is how I met our guest today. And it's through a little consulting group. Oh, so cool. I can't wait to see it all put together. It sounds so fun. And I'm sure that I'll jump in if you'll let me. Oh, totally. Um, And I would love it if you would be part of it. And yeah, I'm going to do a little audio prompts on Monday so people can listen to like a mini podcast, like a 15, 20 minute little recording. And then Wednesdays, I'll teach live for one hour. And then Fridays, there's like a little prompt um, for people to share what they've created. Um, I'm going to have a mighty network for people to um, share. And I'll tell more about that later. But it's been really fun putting it together and like paring down the work I've done 
Because I like to give it all, Sandra. I'm going to give you every little thing because so I'm worthy of your money. I'm going to pour every little tiny thing I've ever done. And then I'm going to overwhelm you maybe. Mm -hmm. So I'm really working hard on just keeping it simple and yeah, easy wins. I want to take a class that there's easy wins. And I feel like your class is super, um, like I love all the things that I'm learning. And then you're like sending us off to go investigate, Mm -hmm. which I love. So anyhow, the invitation is what it's going to be called and it will be launching hopefully this week that this airs. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, I'll be sharing in all the places that I share. So um, you can check out my website, TammySolace.com um, for the information. I love it. And just real quick, um, yeah. uh, sign up to my newsletter. If for, Sign up for my newsletter if you want to hear what's up. Yeah. It's on Scroll yeah. to the bottom and just sign up there. Yeah. And that's it. Okay. Yes. So super exciting guest today. Yeah. Um, uh, our guest, her name is Becky Joyce, and I will tell you about her. She is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in the high mountain desert town of Bend, Oregon. Becky has been working with kids and families in transition since 1999 and in a clinical nature for over 14 years. Her business, Noonday Counseling and Wellness, was created out of a dream to provide a thriving therapeutic environment for anyone looking to looking to experience healing, find joy, dream big, and know what it is to be living the authentic and full life they deserve. She has recently developed an online course that utilizes the wisdom of the Enneagram, coupled with practical tools of cognitive behavioral therapy for a unique path of transformation. Yes. And I met Becky through this um, Corinne consulting group that I'm part of. And I've mentioned it to you, Sandra. I'm in a little um, kind of a little group called CCHQ, which is for um, aspiring entrepreneurs and creatives who are starting to grow their business. And that's where I met Becky. And um, she was doing such great work and building this class that I was like, oh my gosh, we totally need to have someone on to come and talk about the Enneagram, because mm-hmm. I know you do this with your work and that you're talking about it. And I know I've been intrigued and interested, yet it also can feel a little overwhelming, not understanding fully how to get your type. Um, so she definitely helps us with that. So if anybody is interested in, uh, um, in learning more, you can go to Becky's uh, teaching a course called Unstuck. And it's an online 30-day course, and she's creating community around it for the Enneagram. And you can find her at her website therapeutic enneagram.thinkific.com and her instagram is at therapeutic enneagram mm. um, yeah and if you're interested in the cchq other thing um, that i do the little creative entrepreneur business building you can check out corinne at corinneconsulting.com mm. Awesome. All right. You guys are going to love this episode. This is great. And surprise, I just, spoiler alert, Tammy cries. So let's just, <laughs> spoiler alert, Sandra does not. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Enjoy Becky, you guys. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Becky. Hi. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Becky. Hi, Tammy. That's Sandra. 
That was me. I know. I know. Sometimes we do sound alike. We have those NPR voices occasionally. They're so velvety and smooth. What are those ladies? The delicious dish. The delicious yeah. dish. We should do that for our Thanksgiving episode. Let's do delicious dish on NPR. Oh, we yeah. should, right? Sweaty balls. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're getting off track already. Sorry, Becky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> welcome to the show. This is, we're feeling a little punchy today because I actually feel a little bit vulnerable today having you on the show. You are going to talk to us about the Enneagram. And, um, I wanted to tell a little bit about how we met Becky and the work that you do. So, um, chime in please. Um, but we met through, uh, Corinne's consulting, um, headquarters and it's called CCHQ and it's this kind of small business entrepreneur, um, kind of like a mastermind, right? Wouldn't you say Becky, like a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we get together a couple times a month. It's a little membership site through um, the mighty networks and we, um, brainstorm about newsletters and monetization of programs and kind of just the nuts and bolts of, um, of the creative work that we do. Uh, And so can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you do and what you're here to talk with us about today? Yes, absolutely. I am so excited to be here this morning. I love podcasts. Oh, good. I love your podcast and how you guys allow people to tell their stories. I just think it's so beautiful and so healing. And yeah, I can understand that this feels a little bit vulnerable. I mean, I am a therapist. That's my day job. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have a small private practice where I live in Bend, Oregon, and I love working with women. That's sort of my sweet spot. Moms, wives, working women, entrepreneurs. I love it all. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And Um, I really fell into therapy sort of by accident, but I've always been a healer. I've always loved to take care of people and create safe spaces where they can be vulnerable. So I hope that our call today just feels really, really safe to both of you and provides a safe space for your listeners too to just explore themselves more deeply and love themselves more and have more empathy both for themselves and for everybody else. Mm, I want that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've shared, I've shared with Becky in our group before, or I've shared with the CCHQ group um, that meets, I feel a little bit um, like sometimes my traits are looked at negatively um, as being an organized, maybe a little bit type a Virgo. Um, I also realized they're my superpowers and in recovery, I'm trying to kind of shift that story to where that is not a negative, but I have to say like looking at my test results and, and seeing and reading and finding the good in the number. I'm also, there's some part of me that feels this little twinge of the, uh, that it's not right to be this yeah. way. So right. that's where I'm and at. Becky, have you, have you, Becky, do you ever hear, have you ever heard, um, like a, a sentiment that if, if when you really land on your number, then there's something that kind of makes you cringe. You're probably on the right track. Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> 
And that's why it makes us feel vulnerable. So just to give a little intro sort of to the Enneagram, which I think will shed a lot of light on this, both feeling known, but also feeling really exposed. And so those are two sides of the same coin. And the Enneagram is this beautiful eons old tool. It's become really popular as of late. It's, you know, entered our popular culture and memes. And I mean, I think there's thousands of Instagram accounts that are pushing out content, Enneagram coaches, Enneagram teachers, Enneagram life coaches. And so all of a sudden we're inundated with the Enneagram. And I, on one hand, I'm so glad because it's this amazing tool for self-discovery and empathy, like I said earlier, but when used incorrectly, it also makes us feel really exposed, which I would say is not a good thing. I don't think we want to feel exposed. I think we want to feel known Mm. and we want to feel accepted and we want to feel loved for who we are. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So the Enneagram has roots, I mean, in all the major world religions, um, There's even writings and diagrams that are back. Plato, the Platonists before that, 400 years before Christ. I mean, it goes back a long way. And I think most people don't realize that and don't recognize that it's not something new. It's not um, the MBTI Myers-Briggs, which came about in our lifetime. But it has these deep historical roots. And so I think it gives it a a weightiness and um, a sense of really understanding how people work, how people are motivated, what their fears are, what their hopes are. And so with any personality theory, there's this sense that we are born into this world as little babies with kind of these innate gifts and abilities that we bring into the world. So I like to think of a little tiny baby and there's so much goodness and love and hope and joy in this little bundle. And they have been untainted as of yet by the world, but the world's not perfect, right? So we grow up with our gifts that we bring as these little innocent creatures and our personality gets shaped off of our essence. So if our essence is to be good, if our essence is to show love to a world that needs it, if our essence is to bring joy into every corner of the universe, that gets shaped by personality, which is kind of a mask that we put on we start to believe that we're not accepted or not loved or not valued for our essence, but for who and what people want us to be. And a lot of times that's formed really early, generally by our caregivers. So as a therapist, you know, there's a little personality theory at play here. There's also just some early childhood development that comes into play and One of the things that I found really exposing about the Enneagram is there's kind of an origin story of how our personality formed in childhood. And for a lot of folks, when they get to that part in understanding their Enneagram number, that feels really dark and really vulnerable. I don't know if either of you have 
experienced that or if anybody who's listening at home has sort of discovered that, you know, for me, I'll just say, you know, I'm a type nine, which is the peacemaker on the Enneagram. And essentially our core fear is that we don't matter. Our voice doesn't matter. Our opinions don't matter. And we get really small. And a lot of times that's formed in childhood because maybe one of our caregivers is really big and really loud and takes up a lot of space. So we get really small and really quiet. So we don't take up too much space. Um, or someone just flat out told us your thoughts and opinions don't matter. And that causes us to go to what we would say is the personality side of the type and not the essence. So instead of wanting to be a person who brings peace and harmony and inclusivity to our world, all of a sudden I think, don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that might cause conflict. Just fake your way through peace instead of peacemaking. Hmm. Some people refer to that as like the childhood wound. Is that, is that a term that you use? I do. Yeah, I do use that term. Um, I also call it origin story sometimes. Mm-hmm. A little less vulnerable to say origin story instead of wound. Cause I think there's lots of wounds that we have and um, the Enneagram shows us one or two of those, but I think really because we're all such unique human beings, those different wounds play into how our type gets expressed later. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's fine with you, I'll give a quick overview of just each of the types um, that might help your listeners kind of, find themselves somewhere in there and that will help them also I think absorb the information more as our conversation continues yeah that's great yeah that would be great so if you think about the Enneagram symbol if you've seen it it's a circle with nine points Ennea means nine gram means picture so um, it looks kind of (laughs) weird but (laughs) The circle is really important because it's like it holds all those points together. And at the top, we have a nine. The eight, nine, and one are at the top of the circle. Eight, nine, and one are all what we call body or instinct types. That's one of the triads on the Enneagram. And these people are really people who make decisions and operate almost by instinct. It just comes from their gut. They'll think back on these big moments in life where they just jumped into action or made a crazy decision and it really didn't make sense emotionally. It didn't really make sense relationally. It really didn't make sense intellectually, but they just knew somehow in their being that it was right. With the eight, we have the powerful person. So also called the protective challenger. So you think about an eight as a little bitty baby being born into the world and having this innate sense of who holds power. They want to be strong, independent, straightforward, assertive. They are generally people who speak their mind and aren't afraid to say it. They want to influence the world. They are really, really excited about justice. They want to make the world an equitable and just place. And 
They want to be their own person, do their own thing, protect their people, protect their interests. So eights are really this force of power in our world. Nines, moving up to the top of the Enneagram symbol, the peaceful person. We enter into this world wanting to make the world more harmonious, more unified, more inclusive. We like to be calm. We like a degree of order, comfort, and we kind of just go with the flow. We're confident that the world's just going as it should and we're just along for the ride. Next in the body triad or the instinctual triad, we have the type one, the good person. So type ones really are attracted to goodness. They wanna make the world a better place. They're reforming. They realize the potential in, in, in themselves and others. And so they help make these systems and these spaces that are just doing the best they can and making the world better. We're gonna move into the next triad going down. So these would be the heart center folks who are led by emotion and led by their hearts. Again, like if you remember, I talked about this kind of instinctual space that eight, nines and ones operate from. Two, threes and fours are our heart centered friends. Starting with number two, the loving person comes into this world valuing love above all else. They wanna be generous. They wanna make the world more loving. They love intimate relationships with others. Everybody loves being friends with the two because they make you feel so, so loved and accepted. Threes on the Enneagram are these hardworking, efficacious, industrious people. They're just so productive. They bring projects from start to completion. They check goals off their list. They make systems work more effectively. And they believe that really things are orderly and they just jump right on and try to make things keep operating orderly and smoothly. How's this going? Are you guys feeling okay? Oh, yeah. I'm just locked in. Okay. I'm, like, I'm like drawing an Enneagram. I'm drawing all the numbers. I know. I know, I, know, I know it feels weird just to just to keep talking, but I didn't want to interrupt. So, yes, yeah. I'm dialed in. And I'm in my note-taking phase, Becky. <laughs> I'll keep going. Then. Okay. So type four on the Enneagram, the last in the heart triad. These are our creative, original artists. They are authentic. They value individuality, artistic expression. They're sensitive. They're refined, high-class people who see beauty and make beauty. They want to be unique and they desire a deep connection to others. Okay, finishing up over here with the head triad or people who make a decision really based on what their intellect is saying. They are the thinkers on the Enneagram. Type five is probably the deepest thinker, wise, 
They value knowledge and learning. Lifelong learners are type fives. They want to understand the world. They want it to be a reasonable place. They want to know everything there is to know. And they love sharing their knowledge with others. They're insightful. They know how things work and they look into the nature of things and they have this uncanny ability to see how things work together and kind of take a bird's eye view. Sixes value loyalty. They are faithful, conscientious, responsible. These are people who keep their word and honor their commitments. They like the world to be safe reliable and predictable and really just bring this deep sense of of loyalty and honor to everything as i'm going through this you see every number has so much that they offer and ending with style seven just the joy bringers they are exciting and fun and adventurous they bring happiness and joy wherever they go and these friends tell the best stories they take us on wild adventures that we probably wouldn't do on our own and they just always get us to think about the world as an exciting positive optimistic space so that's in a nutshell what i would say the high and healthy side of every number Those are the places that make us feel known. And when we know we're loved and accepted for who we are, that's what we see show up in each of those numbers. Anything that resonated with you guys as I was reading through that or anything that you'd like to visit and chat through a little bit more? Absolutely. And, you know, and what I think is so, I love hearing just that, that really basic high side description, because what I tell, um, people to women too, that I'm working with, you know, when we're just even having a conversation about the Enneagram is that it's pretty easy to do at least eliminate half of them. Right. (laughs) Like you can listen to just those basic descriptions and go, okay, well, at least four of these are not me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought when you just did the heady intellectual thinkers. That's not me. Yeah. (laughs) Not me. I just knew that immediately. I'm like, nope, that's not my type at all. I'm more, um, I don't know. Where is it at? The heart centered resonated with me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It really helps to have those triads. There's the Enneagram is as deep as somebody wants to go. We are going to barely scratch the surface today in this call, but there's people who've devoted their whole lives to learning about it. And you can find that there's all kinds of deeper knowledge to know. And one of the things I really love, and one of the reasons I really love Jerry Wagner, who's who I learned from, is he, he presents it as this idea of a baseball team, right? There's nine players on a baseball team and we kind of have our star player, a person that we, we know all their stats. We feel comfortable using them and putting them into the game because that's our core. But we have all these other players who help the team function and all of those players are expressed in our personality to a different degree. And so you may find as I read through those numbers that, well, that sounds like me 
but I also have a lot of that. And that's actually quite common. We generally have our core type, but then we have where we go when we're stressed. We have where we go in growth. We have a wing, which is a number to either side of our core type that influences how our core shows up. And we can also just have other numbers we're not connected to that really play heavily in our personality. And I love that because we're unique people. Not every nine looks the same. Not every seven looks the same. We're all really unique because we have all these different players that we utilize to a different degree. Yeah. Right. And I think that too, you know, when you look at the, 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 a drawing of the Enneagram and you see those lines that go back and forth, that, um, makes it more obvious that it is a fluid design. Sure. Yeah. It's so pretty. I know. Think of all the art you could create just going off of that. Right. Right. Well, so when I first um, started exploring the Enneagram, I knew pretty right away, you know, I knew immediately that I was not in the feeling triad. Like (laughs) I knew that whatever I was, I was feeling repressed. And so that made it easier for me to kind of dial it in. Then I was sort of looking at the gut triad and the head triad um, and kind of playing with, you know, those six numbers, but I knew right away, nope, I'm not feeling, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the feeling triad. I'm not in the emotional triad. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because sevens are probably more than any other number sevens and fives over there in the head triad are deeply, I would say unfeeling types or feeling repressed is what you said. Um, Fives don't like to be bothered by feelings. They want to stay in their heads and sevens like happy feelings. Right. We like those upper register of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And for seven, if you don't mind me going a little deeper with you, Sandra, go ahead. Because they want joy, the flip side of that is that they really avoid pain. And when unhealthy, when off balance, when the personality is showing up versus the essence, the core of being a joy seeker, you see these people who on the far unhealthy side of their number become life addicts and not just to alcohol or to drugs, but to adventure, to excitement, to variety, variety. Absolutely. (laughs) They can become so wrapped up in seeking the next thrill, the next happy feeling, the next high, the next um, feeling of joy that they forget that they're just a human and that part of our human experience is to be in balance and to have both those high, exciting times, but also to honor and to sit with our pain and to honor and sit with our grief. And really the path to growth for a type seven on the Enneagram is to have to walk through some pretty significant pain and recognize that 
that pain isn't a stealer of joy. It almost magnifies the joy because we're able to hold those things in balance and we're able to see that being a human means I'm going to have both amazing and extraordinary experiences, but I'm also going to find joy in some of just the ordinary everyday life experiences. And a person who has a type seven in balance does that really well. I love that. And you know, when we were talking about that, that part of the, the, the character or the description that makes you feel exposed, you know, that was certainly it. Like, um, you know, that was my raw spot when I really discovered, you know, that I truly was a seven, which it took me about over a year to figure out my number. Um, but that was definitely it. And it, you know, it made me like play back, like all of those times that I didn't, um, experience, I didn't let myself experience pain or sorrow mm-hmm. or sadness or regret, um, you know, to my detriment. And, um, you know, I've always said about myself, bef- even before I knew the Enneagram, I am an optimist <laughs> to a fault sometimes. Yeah. And, um, and so, so yeah, but it's, Oh, so much work for me, but at least I am because of the Enneagram, I'm aware that it is my work to do. For instance, I found out last night that, um, someone I know in recovery, um, lost her life to, to this, um, to alcohol. And I immediately wanted to distract myself. Like I, and immediately I saw myself like, let's click on Facebook. Let's see what's happening over here. You know, I immediately wanted to distract myself and I made myself walk away from the computer and go sit in the chair and just let the grief wash over me. And I cried and I'm, and I might cry right now and I'm not a crier, but it, it takes me a minute. Like I have to be very intentional um, oh, Sandra, I'm so sorry for your around life. pain. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's a very tangible example of how sevens do experience loss. And you're, you have to really fight that natural tendency of your personality oh. to escape it and to sit with it. And you and I are alike in that ways. Nines are also feeling repressed and mm-hmm. it can become really easy to numb out, to distract ourselves, to try and move the needle to the optimist side, instead of just allowing ourselves to experience grief, which again is a very real human emotion. And part of living on this world is that we're going to lose things and we're going to lose people that we love. And a little tool I use in therapy all the time is how would you talk to a friend right now and using that friend voice to talk to yourself? And so I imagine Sandra, that if you were sitting with someone you loved who had just lost a friend, you would say, tell me how it feels. Help me help you remember that person. 
what do you need? Do you need to grieve? Let's grieve. Do you need to cry? Do you need to scream outside? You would be so tender with someone who had experienced what you were experiencing. And I think in those times, no matter what number you are in the Enneagram, you can pay attention to your thoughts and you can pay attention to your kind of gut reactions. And you can say, is this working for me? Or do I need to be tender and gentle with myself and let me say what I want to say and feel what I want to feel. Mm, I love that. Mm. Okay. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Becky, thank you for all of that. And yeah, Sandra, I'm sorry too. We were texting last night and um, these things are hard in this yeah. space that we're in. And um, you know, we, we can sometimes are really light and positive and try to stay in solution on this show, but um, yeah, this is a, this is something that can kill people too. So yeah. um, it's not, it's not light. <laughs> it's not light. Um, when, when we were chatting Becky about coming on the show, um, you said that we could take a test and that you would um, chat with us about our numbers and you're chatting with Sandra about hers. Um, Sandra already knew her number. Was that indicative of a seven to know and say like, I don't need to take that test. Cause Sandra was kind of joking earlier. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I already know my number. I don't really need to take that. Was that indicative of a seven or like, how is that? So yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to call you out Sandra, but I knew you could handle it. No, I was already <laughs> laughing about it. I already yes. called myself. Yeah, out. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I did tell Sandra in our exchanges before the podcast, self-knowledge is really the best knowledge. And there are those of us who have lived a lot of life and had enough experience that when we read through each of the types, which I actually am all in favor for. There's a lot of different ways to figure out what type you are. You can take tests. You can work with somebody one-on-one like me or like an Enneagram coach who asks you questions and tries to tease that out. And we'll do a little bit of that today, Tammy. And you can also just become a learner, right? And start reading through material and looking at each of those types. And I would say that most people find their type when they get to what's really their core motivation or their core fear. So that being said, Tammy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being very quiet over here looking at my test over here. You said you resonate with the heart center type. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me times in your life where you've seen that you're operating from making decisions from um, sitting in that heart space that's really about connecting intimacy and um, and others um okay uh, this just popped in my head uh I don't know does it make me a sensitive type to the loving person because I just felt highly sensitive as a child. Mm. And um, like I would, the example that popped into my brain just now is that when I used to go to the grocery store, uh, when I was in high school and I could finally drive, I was sent to the store a lot, right? And um, there used to be a man, this was in the uh, mid eighties, there used to be a man that sat on the corner with an, I will work for food sign mm. um, written on cardboard. Oh, I'm gonna cry just a story. Um, 
but I came home just sobbing, you know, just like, mom, there's this per I'd never seen anybody like that before. I lived in a suburb. Yeah. Uh, my parents worked really hard to give us a nice home because they grew up without one. Um, and so I was devastated, you know, and, um, going through our refrigerator, seeing like what I could take them. And, and my dad was just kind of laughing. And he was like, he was like, Tammy, I see this all the time in LA. He was an iron worker. You know, you can't give, you can't give to people. You can't just give to everybody that's on the street or you would have nothing, you know? And then he took me to, to Beverly Hills one day to get his taxes done. He got it done. All the iron workers got it done by this Beverly Hills accountant. And it was kind of funny um, to him. And um, he took me down to go see like where all um, the homeless people lived and devastated me. So my heart, I think, I don't know. It was just laughed at. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but what a gift to the world. I love that story, Tammy, because it just children can be so pure. And honestly, it's been one of my greatest joys being a parent to see this essence show up in your kids, right? Where they haven't been tainted yet. Right. But, um, well, that's just the way things are, you know? Right. And my daughter was very similar when she was tiny. I mean, I think she was three the first time she noticed and it was beyond her understanding that someone wouldn't have a safe, warm place at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful gift that should bother us. That should make us feel deeply. Um, but as we grow and as we walk through this life, we can kind of turn that down. We can turn the volume down on our heart, um, either because someone told us to turn it down <laughs> early in right. childhood, either by their actions or with their words, like you feel too much, stop it. Yeah. Um, but I think something that's really interesting is that this is where personality is so unique is highly sensitive people exist in every Enneagram number. And mm. um, even though I'm feeling repressed on my own behalf, I feel deeply for others. I have no problem as an empath feeling pain that I see in others. It's, it's acknowledging sort of my own pain and feelings that I struggle with. And so I love that story because it both talks about, I think, the innocence and essence of how we are as children before that all gets kind of covered up by the masks we wear and the filters we use. And, and also, honestly, it's just a natural defense, right? As we grow, if everything bothered us to that degree, we would be sad and heartbroken constantly. Yeah. So we have to sort of build up a resiliency to those things. Well, when we had, we had um, an astrologer on here, our friend Natha Campanella, and she read um, Sandra and our, my natal chart, uh, our natal charts. Mm. And the, the download I got from her um, was profound. I think Sandra as well. Correct. I mean, just those readings were really illuminating and her talking about, you know, seven-year-old me really like, I was like, oh, how did she get that age? Right. For some significant things that had happened, you know, but she talked about it in my chart and she talked about it, that I am a person who likes to make meaning out of things. 
Mm. And that really resonated, you know, she's because of course she's reading your chart and saying, does that make sense? Does that resonate with you? Um, And it did. And I think that that, um, I still do that. And sometimes I can romanticize things or, um, you know, reflect on my story and I am trying to make meaning out of it because it's important for me to know why did I drink the way that I did? Why did I do some of the things that I did? Um, why did I neglect the things that I did? You know, I have to make some kind of meaning or it feels like it's for nothing. It feels like it is wasted. Um, can, I, can I jump in yeah. just one second, Tammy? Uh, and, and just to remind, as just an observer of you, because we've been friends for a while, there's a story that you also tell of a childhood story that you also have told before that really stood out to me. And it could be telling maybe to Becky too. Oh. The, the story about you cleaning other people's houses. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I did that since I was like before kindergarten too. Okay. Yeah. I would go to people's homes. Oh, Sandra, that's like a flashback. I would go to people's homes and I would clean their rooms for them. My friends, I would tidy under their beads. I would organize their closets and I, their mothers loved me. Yeah. I would never do that (laughs) ever, 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 ever. I will come do it right now. If anybody wants to <laughs> freaking love it. Clean a drawer makes me feel like I have control. Yeah. Organize something. Sure. Um, yeah. Cleaning my drawer is going to be in my class, Sandra. That's a, that's a thing. It's actually okay. outer order creates inner calm as a nice. So, right. I, I, I only bring that up because I think that's very telling of, of something, you know, like maybe that little nugget is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very helpful. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and Tammy, I'm already I, crying. You guys, oh, come on. Tammy, oh, <laughs> I connected that also with one of your newsletters you sent out recently when you talked about vacuuming. Yeah, yeah. Vacuuming was um um we had to have the house in perfect order by the time my father walked through the front door at night. And I did not grow up in a physically abusive home. I just want to say that, but there was some, definitely some shit going down (laughs) in the mind games. Um, and it was to please my father and my mother kind of was dancing around doing all the things right before he got home because she would procrastinate and put them off until we got out of school. And then we would help her with all of these tasks and kind of making a grid like um, vacuuming and making the lines just so in the living room that we were never allowed to walk in was a job that I really enjoyed actually. And it actually kind of calmed my anxiety, I think, and that I could control kind of where it went now. It drove me crazy when my little brother would go in there and put the feet mark all over because that kind of weirdness transferred to me that like it needed to stay just so you know, but I used to put masking tape down the middle of my room that I shared with my sister and said like, she couldn't cross the line. Like, cause my side was neat and her side was messy. Um, but then she could never get out of the room. Cause I gave her the half that didn't have the door. You know what I mean? So like I had some control stuff going on. Um, yes. <laughs> and that you respond to the gold star, oh, yes. um, kind of desire to be seen as good and, yeah. And again, I'm not trying to type you, but, um, you, you do respond to a gold star mm-hmm. and not everyone does. 
I have a whole, about a thousand of them in my desk drawer right now that I'm looking at. Um, yes. And I get, I gave one to myself yesterday. <laughs> so I can do that now instead of hopefully trying to get other people to give them to me. No, but it's there. I have a question, Becky. So what I've always understood is one of the telling signs of an Enneagram one is that they have a very loud inner critic. Yep. Is, okay. Because, um, I've also heard, you know, other ones say, well, I can't I, wait. Don't other people don't have inner critics. <laughs> and it's like, mm, not, not so much, not, not, not as loud as a type one's inner critic. You are exactly right. I'm married to a type one and it's so, the, the inner critic is so pervasive in every one that I know. Type one, not everyone as in every single person, every type one that I know. And depending on your degree of health, you have a pretty good sense of when it's your critic talking However, it just feels like your own voice. And so that's what really sets the one apart from every other number on the Enneagram is they're really driven by this inner sense of what is right or wrong, good or bad. And they can find too much of their identity in doing things well or doing things right and if they don't they're really harsh on themselves they kind of set these expectations and then if the expectations aren't met there's anger and resentment and that inner critic gets turned on yourself in the worst way even sending you as ones are connected to the four to this unhealthy melancholic depressed state of I can't do anything right Hmm. and The more healthy you are, I think you are more in control of that inner critic, but it's just kind of a voice that follows you. So I don't know if that is something that resonates with you, Tammy, but I thought about those lines in the carpet and how it felt so good to see those and it Mm -hmm. felt right and it felt like this is how it should be. And then your brother runs in right with his feet (laughs) and... And that's what happens to adult type ones, right? When they see what's good and right and the way things should go. And then someone comes in and messes it up. (laughs) Yeah. I I definitely have a black and white thinking. I definitely have black and white thinking, good, bad, right, wrong. And I have to say that only through recovery, the last five and a half years, have I loosened up learning the, you know, the concepts of surrender and letting go and, um, but it's a, it's a work in progress for sure. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I love that about recovery work. And actually one of my recommendations for anybody who's a type one is to go and read the big book because there's so much about giving up control mm-hmm. and embracing serenity, not the sense of everything's right but sense of I can be at peace and I can let go even when things aren't right. Right. Well, that's why I think maybe the 12 steps has resonated with me so much, Becky, because um, a friend, when I got sober, a friend reached out. Um, 
around seven months when I was going to drink again, I was writing about it and saying how I didn't think I was a, an alcoholic or I didn't want to call myself that. And she just reached out and, and encouraged me to try a 12 step program. And mm-hmm. I went, of course, cause I wanted to please her and, you know, check it off the list. And it just spoke to me the, the fact, and that's what she said. I think it's going to speak to you knowing you. She was my former yoga teacher. She's like, you just are you're very linear. You like to follow things. And I think going through one through 12, even though the steps are not linear, they're more circular, um, you know, and that you're, you're always going to be doing them, but that there was a plan and like a map, a roadmap that I could follow really spoke to me yeah. and still does and still does. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, Becky, so I took this test um, in January of 2019. Um, not this test. I took it through uh, a link that my son had sent me. They had been doing the Enneagram at school as part of a project, a winter project. And so I tested as a two um, in August of 2019. I took it again and I tested as a two with a different wing um, with a six. And in November, just took your test through the Wagner Enneagram personality style scale is what that was called. And I tested as a one with a two. So what do you think about that? Like, is that typical? I mean, I guess originally I thought I tested as a three, so I thought I'd been a three, a two and a one, but I had never been a three as my lead number. Can I jump in real quick? Mm -hmm. Um, And before you answer that, Becky, so when Dammy first took her test, whatever that, whenever that was a couple of years ago. And she told me she was a three. I was really surprised. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm not going to argue with what you, you know, with you. <laughs> That's however you identify. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with you if you identify with the three, but I really thought Tammy was a one like that. You know, if, if I was going to, you know, cast the, use my magic wand and, and tell somebody who they were, <laughs> which I wouldn't have, but I thought, huh, cause I thought she was a one. Anyway. And you never said anything. No, I never said it. I never said anything. <laughs> but there isn't are, that, there are okay. types of the Enneagram who would say in that moment, I don't think you're a three, but I love, <laughs> I love that you let her do her own journey. I think that's always the ideal way is to let someone come to their own knowledge. And I do use the test um, quite often with people because it helps for me in therapy, it helps fast track the process. A lot of people want to do more of a brief therapeutic model, which is like, how quickly can you get me from point A to point B? Mm -hmm. And I love it because it helps fast track it, but you do run into problems with people who don't know themselves or haven't had enough experience. And that's why they say we don't type children. We don't really type teenagers. We kind of wait till you get into your twenties and thirties when you've had enough life experience to look back and say, yeah, this is the way I respond. Not this is the way I want to respond. But what's so interesting, I think about the WEPS test that I use is that it shows kind of your percentages of how you answer the questions, which always is really helpful to me. And your one and two scores, Tammy, are just probably one question apart. They are mm. a fraction of a percent, you know? And so there's a couple things I could think there, but I do want to ask you some questions that I mm-hmm. think would help. And, you know, type eight, nine, and one up there in the instinctual center where we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. they really are about control. We like Mm. being in 
control. And that comes sort of with instinct. If you've ever been in a situation where you've been scared, you have this sense of like, this is completely out of my control and I need to get in control ASAP. (laughs) And, and that's kind of where eight nines and ones naturally live. And we seek to get control in different ways. Eights, seize control, right? The powerful challenger shows up and they just seize control however it looks. Mm-hmm. Nines almost seed control. We give it up in an effort to not be out of control. It's almost easier for us to let the strongest, loudest, meanest, or just most assertive person in the room take control and we g- gladly give it up. Mm-hmm. And then there's no more conflict ones look to control in a completely different way that's more operational it's more in their head it's not um the eight who's just showing up with their body and taking over the nine is thinking okay what do i need to do to plan for this and how do i take these steps and how do i make sure that person backs off and two, threes, and fours, I mean, every woman struggles with control. That's, I think, something we all can relate to. But twos on the Enneagram are much more concerned with what others think around them. And so that's where that heart center comes into play. Whereas a one is driven by this inner sense. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. It's just kind of this knowing in my gut. And I'm going to seek control that way twos the story of you putting the masking tape down your bedroom was really helpful twos are not about boundaries they're like how do I serve you your needs above mine how do I elevate your thoughts feelings and needs and they actually lose sight of themselves in unhealth twos actually become such compulsive givers lovers meters of needs that they almost forget that they have any Mm. and it's just a different motivation right ones want to do what's right and it's coming from this inner sense of conviction and twos are looking to others to tell them what to do and how to show up Mm. okay that that's very helpful that's very helpful and and um you know, I, we share so much on this show that I'm fine with sharing this just as we're, mm-hmm. since we're talking about this. And when, when I was seven, Becky, like I had the sexual trauma, right. I had this significant sexual trauma from, um, a bunch of boys mm-hmm. and my mother had made me go to the sleepover and my gut told me not to go to that sleepover. So I had told a lie. I told the girl I couldn't go to her house because her house freaked me out. I just, it was energy. It was my, it was my intuition. I knew that was not a safe house, but my, the moms called each other. And then my mom made me go. I was terrified when I was over there, I wanted to leave. And then this horrible thing happens. So I go home the next day, Becky, I hide under my bed. I'm seven. (laughs) I hide under my bed and let them look for me all day, freaked out, you know? And I say all day, it was probably like an hour. Um, it felt like all day, but I did that. And as I've looked at that and done the work, and when I worked with Natha talking about this thing that happened when I was seven, there was this shift. It it's, um, I realized it was me taking control. Yeah. I was going to be, I was mad at my mother. 
I didn't trust her anymore and I'm going to take control and I'm going to hide under the bed and I'm not going to come out until you guys are good and worried about me (laughs) and I'm going to keep myself safe. Right. Um, so that, so I, I do care what other people think to a certain degree. Like there is, of course, there's a small amount of that to me, but I think perhaps, yeah, control is a really (laughs) big, I've recognized that in my recovery, um, and the work that I've done over these last five years that, um, that is, a that's a biggie. Yeah. And now it's, you're revealing more to me. Yeah. Oh, Tammy, that just hurts my heart for that little seven year old you and yeah shared that you just knew I mean I got goosebumps from head to toe and I think as I learned the Enneagram they would have these type panels so everybody who was in the room learning would get up and would share what it was like to be a type nine and they would answer similar questions and and something that came up again and again with these body types these instinctual center types of eight, nine, and one is it's like, we can't even really explain it. It's just like, we know something's not right. Or Mm -hmm. like I said earlier, we make a decision that actually doesn't make any sense, but we just know. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was really helpful for me also as an adult in my own therapy to think back about these different times in my life when I had just known something was wrong Yeah, And, and really kind of giving myself permission to listen to that and forgiving myself for not protecting myself in those situations where I knew something was off. Yeah. I don't know if that resonates with you, but we can both blame kind of our parents or mm-hmm. whoever was in charge in those situations, but we can also be really hard on ourselves and look back and say, I knew something was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But part of the healing process is really letting go of control. And, and some of that is learning to forgive ourselves and learning to give grace to those little seven-year-old us that Mm -hmm. didn't have the experience we have now and didn't have the ability to set boundaries like we do as adults and didn't have the ability to say, no, I'm not going. Because when you're seven, you kind of have to do what your parents say. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the, the part that really made me pivot a few years ago after having um, the natal chart read, and, and now I've been getting a birthday reading every year, mm. is that it really, she mentioned about how, you know, around this time, you know, your, in, your, your intuition was uh, either not acknowledged or not listened to. And it just hit, it was so on the money for me. And I think um, in sobriety and with the women that we talked to and me being friends with Sandra, like listening to our gut now is we can access it because before it would rise up and I would just numb it out. Yes. I would drink it away. I would make poor choices. Um, I knew what was right or wrong um, in my mind and I would cheat on myself and not do the thing that I knew I should do. Yeah. In a lot of ways, not just with instinct, but with a lot of things that were posed to me. And um, yeah, this is helpful. This is really helpful. Mm. Yeah, we talked about childhood wound a little bit earlier and something that was really helpful to both my husband and I when we were kind of doing our Enneagram work with a therapist is they took us through this process of recognizing how little Becky shows up in my adult life. And that's really when our personality shows up. So I feel like 
I'm in a room where people are making me uncomfortable. And so I make myself really small and says, someone says something I disagree with and I feel really, really strongly about it. And I start panicking inside and I get sweaty and I get red and I just keep my lips closed because I think, don't speak up, don't rock the boat, don't make waves. And, and so part of my therapy and my own internal work with the Enneagram was saying, you know what, that little me served a purpose when I was little, she protected me and she took care of me and she helped me survive and she helped me, um, be who I needed to be, but now I'm an adult. And so guess what? I get to show up. I get to say how I feel. And, and kind of like the seven has to walk through pain to realize that joy isn't stolen by that. It's almost amplified. I have to walk through conflict with those that I love and make it through to the other side to know that conflict isn't actually the worst thing. The worst thing for me is to deny who I am. Mm. And that's yeah. been really helpful. I don't know. That's, you know, a whole other podcast. We could talk about inner child work, but (laughs) sometimes we recognize when that little me is showing up and, and we get to say, you know what? She served her purpose, but today I can choose differently. I don't have to numb out. I don't have to run away from my feelings. I don't have to keep my mouth closed because I can show up for myself and be true to who I am. And that's actually the best gift, not just to me, but to all the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that you are speaking so well without even spelling it out. Why, you know, doing this work with the Enneagram is such a useful tool for people in recovery, right? Because yeah. you can sort of see your path to growth. And that's one of the things that makes the Enneagram unique from other sort of personality tests, other personality tests, the disc, MBTI, et cetera, they kind of are the static test. Like this is who you are. Right. And it's totally true. It makes sense. Um, But the Enneagram is really one of the only sort of personality profiles I know of that provides you a path towards growth. So like we've talked about with the seven having to walk through pain and to come out to the other side and say, you know what? I don't have to push pain away. I don't have to pretend that everything's okay. I can embrace what's not okay and come out the other side, a more joyful human. And, and for a type nine, I can walk through conflict and I can come out the other side. And then, you know, for a type one, you can be wrong. You can mess up. What? You- Drop the ball. <laughs> Wait a minute here. Love <laughs> you. Are you going to be there on the other side, and they're going to say, "Well, yeah, of course you messed up. You're a human. We just want you to be who you are." Yeah. And and we have to walk through those things, and it, it provides this path to growth. Of a seven knows they're not in a good place when they're avoiding dealing with what they need to deal with. Right. Absolutely. I go to stress when I'm in an unhealthy place. I go to six when I'm in a healthy place and I'm up at 3 a.m. worrying about everything you could possibly worry about. A one in type stress goes to unhealthy type four and can get 
so inwardly focused that they're again in a place of melancholy and depression and nobody understands me. I'm a victim of my own doing and nobody out there can understand what it's like to be me and it's horrible. You know, so we all have this stress arrow and we all have this growth arrow and for your listeners and for both of you, that's really, I think, one of the keys to identifying when we're unhealth is looking at those stress behaviors and moving towards health is looking at our growth arrow and, and the number we move toward to experience more healing. What does, what's the number for the growth arrow on a one? It's seven. seven. <laughs> oh, excellent. Uh-huh. A seven. So right. Teach me. When, Teach when me. you go to seven, you, you get, you break out of a space of constantly having to improve things and you find a little joy and spontaneity and go in with the flow. Does that resonate? <laughs> yes. I like that. Exactly. You guys are so nice to me. I feel so sensitive today. <laughs> I was, I, I was so excited to have you on Becky. Not that I'm not, but I got a little nervous this morning. Oh yeah, totally. I get that. It's vulnerable work, but it's so good. And, um, when our vulnerability shows up, it's such an amazing gift to ourselves and to others because it's not being exposed by someone else. And I think that's really the difference is when we feel exposed by someone else, it leads us to a place of shame. But when we choose to be vulnerable, we're taking control and we're saying, you know what? I'm going to show up as I am warts and all struggles and all sad stories, issues. And I'm going to believe that I'm worth continuing to press into this. And, you know, just to add one more thing to that, what it's been, I guess what the Enneagram, you know, 2.0 for me has been in relationships, then I can, um, even without, you know, knowing someone's type per se, I can just accept the ways that other people in my sphere are different than me. And, and try to, you know, approach them with a little more compassion and less judgment or less, why don't, why do you do things that way? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I could talk to you for a long time. Um, Becky, can, I know normally we put this at the very, very end, but we're, we're coming up on the time when we're going to share your toolbox, but I know that you're working on a course. I know this from working with you in um, Corinne's consulting group. Um, can you share what that course is and when it launches so that if our listeners are listening here and they want to work with you or take that course, can you tell us a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I really, I'm sure you can tell from this conversation. I'm so passionate about the Enneagram. I just think it's been such a helpful tool for me. And like I shared a little bit in our consulting group is when I was walking through one of the most vulnerable times of my life, the Enneagram illuminated who I was and how things could be different. And it's like, it gave me this choice to just start showing up and to stop numbing out and stop making myself small and, um, and stop 
keeping the peace with people on the outside and like waging this war inside myself. And, you know, I, um, I have autoimmune issues and it dawned on me in that moment in therapy. I was like, I wonder if I started just showing up, if my body wouldn't be in itself alive from the inside out, from stuffing all of those years of feelings and thoughts and opinions. And it was so, it was this crazy experience. And so I'm passionate about it because it's been so helpful to me and continues to be. And in therapy, it continues to be this amazing tool that I see providing growth. So I thought, how could I create a safe space for folks to walk through an experience like I've, I've experienced, but who maybe therapy isn't an option for them. You know, therapy can be cost prohibitive. It can take a lot of time and effort and that just doesn't work for everybody to do that. And so I thought if I could create a course where we could do sort of an overview of the Enneagram and people could figure out who they are why they think the way they think, what their motivations are, what their fears are, but then also that it could be um, helped along with these tools of cognitive behavioral therapy. Why do I think the way I think? And when I fall into those unhealthy patterns, when I fall into those stressful sides of my type, I can actually begin exhibiting pretty harmful behaviors and get stuck in emotions I don't like and get stuck in situations I don't like because I'm not being authentic to who I am and I'm not taking the proper steps towards growth. So the course is called Unstuck and the purpose is really to help people identify where they get stuck and give them a path to growing out of that. And that's going to look different for every type. So it's going to be an overview of all the types. It's going to be um, a process, a tool that I'll share with your listeners in just a bit of understanding what we're thinking, feeling, and behaving, and learning to flip that around, to take a 180 and try to move to the healthy side of our type and call up all those gifts to bring about better behavior, if that makes sense. And it's going to be 30 days online. There's going to be videos and PDF learning. There's going to be an online community where I'm going to be posting topics and asking people to process in real time and learn from each other, not just from me. I think that's super important. Share their story. And there's going to be um, live calls where people can hop on and we'll talk about what we're learning and people can ask questions. And at the very end, we're going to take everything that we've learned. And the last section of the class is creating your own personal plan for growth. So if I'm a type one who has an unhealthy type four that shows up and a healthy type seven, but I also have a really two, talk about you, Tammy, Mm -hmm. my plan's going to look unique to me. I'm going to take the things that help a one. I'm going to take the things that help a four. I'm going to take things that help a seven. I'm going to take things that help a two. And I'm going to create my own plan for growth. And that might be meditation. That might be yoga. That might be creativity. That might be nature. There's all kinds of different tools available, but I'm super, super excited about it. That's going to launch in January. And then it's going to be 
kind of have um, rolling enrollment when that one's done. I think I'm just going to keep repeating it throughout the year. And also I'm going to launch type specific groups. So for people who know their number and don't really need to go through a course, I'm going to start offering groups of people who can get together with other type ones, for example, and learn from them and share experience and share their story and experience healing. So a lot of fun things. Oh, that sounds so fun. Oh my God. That just sounds really, really deep and valuable. Uh, And where can they find out about this, Becky? Is it on your website? Yes. So there's a couple different places. Um, My Instagram handle is therapeutic Enneagram. And that's kind of a placeholder for all of the work that I'm doing with the Enneagram. So whether it's a one-on-one session with someone who wants to find out more about their type in a more therapeutic environment um, for people who want to do these type groups, that'll be a good space for that. Also for my class unstuck, but I actually, everything's live now at therapeutic Enneagram.thinkific. Thinkific is a platform dot com and all the courses are live you can preview the unstuck curriculum and read more about the groups that are coming and read more about doing a one-on-one session yeah that's all online therapeutic enneagram.thinkific.com perfect oh thank you becky Mm. This has been great. I love it. Thank you very much for chatting with us about our types and just so that our listeners can kind of educate themselves. And if they're interested, they can work with you, which I think will be wonderful. Thank you for having me. I have just loved this. Thank you for being vulnerable, both of you. Yeah. And we are going to ask you to share some tools and your, we have an unruffled toolbox that we share with our listeners every week that we have a guest. And um, what are your top three tools that you want to share with them? Yeah. So I am going to give everybody a little piece from my course, which is, I call it the T, T-E-A, which you love, Tammy. I know because yes. that's part of it. Um, it came to me, you know, it's not anything new. All cognitive behavioral therapists use some form of this, but I thought, what helps me slow down? And I am all about comfort. I love getting a warm cup of tea, sitting, thinking, uh, it takes a while to drink it. So you just have to sit, you know? And so I, I created this T acronym to help us understand how to identify patterns of thinking. So the T stands for take notice of your thoughts. So what am I thinking right now? Am I falling into unhealthy patterns of thinking? Am I believing things that are true or am I believing things that aren't true? For example, if a type one is all of a sudden in their head and realizing that the inner critic is full bore, they can stop and say, wait a minute, my thoughts are being controlled by my inner critic and I don't need this to happen. I'm taking notice of that. The next step, the E in T stands for engaging your emotions. And after I've thought about what I'm thinking, I go to the next step of like, when I think I'm a screw up and I can't do anything right, how does that make me feel when my inner critic shows up so loudly? What kind of emotions am I experiencing? Do I feel ashamed? Do I feel sad? Do I feel angry? I'm identifying the emotions that go with that unhealthy patterns of thinking. The A stands for affirm and act. So I'm going to take what I've noticed about my thoughts and what I've done in engaging my emotions. And I'm going to say, gosh, 
how would it be different if instead of giving my inner critic the voice, I turned to my inner encourager and I said, I'm not a screw up. I can't, who can't do anything right. I'm a human. I make mistakes. It's okay. When I think that instead, how does that make me feel? It makes me feel a lot better. And now I can, I can apply that to my situation and actually end up choosing a much different way than if I had just been stuck in the unhealthy pattern of thinking. So sometimes mm, one that. some people call it a U-turn. I have a PDF um, I can share. You guys can put on your website um, for all of your listeners to just help them remember those steps. T-E-A-T. So oh, that's thank you. My second one is meditation. I know from listening that everybody recommends this and it is one of the most powerful tools that I know for myself and also for others. Every therapy client I get, I tell them to to start meditation. And the tool I'm going to share is actually two apps that I think are really helpful. So the first one for adults, it's called My Life. It's a meditation app. There's a free version of it, which is great. There's also a paid version. But the thing that I love is if you're starting meditation, it takes you through the steps of saying, how do I feel today? Where's my head space? Where's my body? It actually, your first thing when you, before you even start the meditation is you have to say how you're feeling physically, where your head is at, where your emotions are at. So it's actually taking the wisdom of the Enneagram and taking even this T process and making you think it through. So if someone didn't even do the meditation that day, but they just took the first steps of checking in with their thoughts, their heart and their body, it would be a great step in the right direction. So after you do all those things, it takes it, plugs it into their little formula and then spits out some meditations that they recommend. And you can choose the voice and you can choose the meditation and there's longer ones and shorter ones, but it's a really great starting place for folks who are new to meditation. And there's actually a kid's meditation app. So if you're a parent and you're just falling into meditation, sometimes it can be great to have your kids pop in with you. And that one's called Breathe Kids. And it's similar. It has children check in with their bodies and their emotions, which I love. My seven-year-old's cool. And then it gives them a little animated meditation to follow. So they weren't used to be by the same maker, but now they're different. My Life and Breathe Kids. And then the last tool I have is also very, very simple, but it's just a nature reset. We as human beings, especially in time of pandemic, are are really stuck inside. We're stuck on screens. We're stuck in our minds. And I encourage everyone, your listeners, myself, my folks in therapy, to get outside and get a reset. I like to think of myself as a kindergartner when I go outside. And if you have ever been on a walk with a kindergartner outside, they're not in their heads. They're noticing a butterfly. They're picking up a mushroom from the forest floor. They're noticing the clouds in the sky. They are just in awe of everything outside. So if anybody out there is feeling stuck, I just encourage you to get outside Think like a five-year-old, see what you can see, smell what you can smell, experience what you can experience. It'll help you get you out of your head and back into your body. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that too. Oh, Becky, thank you so much. Your wealth of information. And this is going to be so helpful to myself and to our listeners. And this is great. 
Yes. Yes. I know our listeners are going to love this. They've, some of them have just begun their Enneagram journey or they're super interested in it. Um, I, yeah, they're going to love this. Oh, thanks for your time, Becky. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so, so much. I've so enjoyed it. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.